Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking to you about the Kingdom of God. But we're going to be talking, of course, usually about the keys to the kingdom. Who's got the keys to the kingdom? Well, the keys to the kingdom were given to us by Jesus Christ, and they actually have been given to us by lots of different prophets over the years. And Moses talked about them, and Jesus talked about them, and and, uh, Abraham talked about them. But uh, what are they? Well, it says right in the text, and this is the amazing thing, that how you read the text will define what you think they're saying. And how you read the text depends upon your understanding of the language that you're reading. And the language that you're reading is probably not the original language that was spoken when people were talking about the keys to the kingdom. So, a lot can be lost in that translation. But, of course, it's not by flesh and blood that we know the truth of the gospel of the kingdom. It's by revelation. Christ made it really clear that he was going to build his church based on that revelation, not flesh and blood. So, even though when you read the Bible, you're reading a book that is in the earth and in the world that we live in and you're reading it with your flesh and blood mind. You cannot understand it without the Holy Spirit. With the Holy Spirit and patience and all these things that are equated with the idea of love, you will begin to understand it. Unfortunately, a lot of people are very subject to the world around them, to emotions, to um, preconceived notions, to ideas that they've already accepted as true. And they cling to those ideas. And so when they read the Bible, all those things have to get moved aside in order to get at the real truth. I heard somebody talking on the news the other day about wanting to know the whole truth. And uh, it was in the impeachment hearings for Donald Trump. I guess it was in the actual trial proceedings that have begun in uh, the Senate. And uh, there was a Democrat talking about wanting to know the whole truth. Well, I don't think either side wants to know the whole truth. (laughs) If they wanted to know the whole truth, they probably wouldn't be there. (laughs) But uh, they want to know something of the truth. What they don't want to know is the inconvenient truths. The the truths that put them in a bad light. The truths that show them for who they are and what they are and what they stand for. I mean, anybody running in politics is generally not going to be telling you the whole truth. I mean, Patrick Henry might have been the last who wanted to know the whole truth and provide for it. But uh, the question is, The important question is, do you want to know the whole truth? Because if you don't want to know the whole truth, you know, you're in a lot of trouble. Because you're going to end up believing a lie. Because you're not going to know the whole truth. You have to want to know the whole truth, the inconvenient truth, the truth about yourself, as well as the truth about everybody else. 
that takes a certain amount of humility, which is why Christ talked a lot about humility. That's a that's an important aspect of seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, when Christ talked about the kingdom of God, he, he said very clearly to Peter and to all the apostles, I give unto you the keys of the kingdom. And then he gave them the key to the kingdom. And it's in the text. What you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. That's it. That's the keys to the kingdom right there. Now, how does that equate into ideas that you can grasp and understand and implement in your life? Well, as you forgive, so shall ye be forgiven. If you don't forgive, you will neither will my Father forgive you. Because, see, when you forgive, you're loosening some of those bonds. When you don't forgive, you're binding yourself to that unforgiveness. That's how people have trauma in their life. Uh, somebody's mean to them. Uh, something just bad happens to them. It wasn't necessarily anybody mean. It just uh, forces of nature. Or tornado comes in and tears everything apart. Your f- folks die in a car accident. Whatever it is. Trauma happens. Life, sometimes you hit some bumps and rough times. That trauma, that fear, that PTSD will drag into your future from the past. Whatever happened in the past will be dragged into the future unless you deal with it. And one of the ways of dealing with trauma is to forgive the trauma. Not to be angry at it, not to be afraid of it. Same thing, anger, fear, same thing. Different sides of the same coin. Anger, fear. You just have to let it go. To let it go, you have to see that you've got a hold of it. That you're gripping it. That you're, you've got a place in your, yourself where you're tense about that particular traumatic event. If it was somebody being cruel to you or doing something that you took as being cruel, you know, I mean, you know, you might have had a teacher or a parent that disciplined you. That said, no, you cannot go out with your friends because you haven't cleaned up your room. Why are you being so mean? <laughs> From a child's point of view, that's what they're going to think. You're being mean. No, they're trying to teach you responsibility. That's a good thing, trying to teach you responsibility. But you may have taken it as a mean thing. Then again, maybe somebody did do a mean thing to you. Because somebody had done a mean thing to them and they didn't forgive that person. And so now they're perpetuating the meanness. They're molesting or abusing somebody. Like there was a guy who uh, molested a dozen children from the ages of 1 to 13. uh, Both boys and girls. And he was arrested, he was convicted, he was put in jail. And now he is transitioning from a guy to a girl... And so the state where he's incarcerated says, well, we can let him out now because he won't be a threat as a girl. (laughs) You go like, are you crazy? (laughs) But yeah, they're crazy. They're insane. 
they don't they don't get it. You know, he he molested boys and girls. Yeah, they said, well, well, now that he's taking these hormones, he won't be as aggressive, and so he's he probably won't ever offend. You know, the precedent that they're setting with this is unbelievable. You know, we won't have to send people to jail for 10 years, 15 years. We can now just drug them, and they won't commit crimes anymore. You know, lobotomize them with chemistry. And that's basically, that's the idea. They will go that way and think that way eventually because they have no standard of reality. They're, they will be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine and their belief about, you know, chemistry and, and hormones and all that stuff. That is their doctrine. You know, just before I went on the air, I saw an article in uh, about vaccines. I I thought it was kind of interesting. It, it's, there's a new peer-reviewed scientific paper published in the Journal of uh, Tropical Diseases, uh, which is Travel Medicine and Vaccines, which has to do with, you know, you go to other, you know, it's tropical diseases and you, you go to these other countries and should you take these vaccines and are, are they a good thing? Well, they found that uh, people who got the full series of DTAP vaccines, which is diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis, which is whooping cough, those uh, those people who got that full series of vaccines are 15 times more likely to get whooping cough than those who got no vaccines. Now, you think about that. Wait a minute. This group over here that got no vaccinations whatsoever, they're not likely to get, they're not as likely to get whooping cough as those who actually got the vaccines. So the people who got the vaccines are 15 times more likely, basic scientific study, you know, it's just counting numbers who got a whooping cough and who didn't. They're 15 times more likely to get whooping cough than those who got no protection from vaccines at all. That's a piece of information a lot of people do not want to hear. They don't want to hear it because their doctrine, their dogma, their system of belief is that vaccines make you safer. They want to believe that. That makes them feel safe. And so now you come along and you say, no, that actually makes you more endangered. The scientific evidence is showing that you're more endangered to getting whooping cough, not the first year, not the second year, but after three years, four years, five years, you will be more likely, 15 times more likely to get whooping cough than if you had never got a vaccination. Now, to be fair, you know, they don't mention it in the article that I was reading, but whooping cough vaccinations are not real vaccinations. They're a different kind of vaccination than most vaccinations. But we can look at the polio vaccination. Almost all the cases of polio, I say almost all, it appears that all the cases of polio that appeared in Syria recently were the result of the vaccine. All the cases that appeared of polio in the Congo were because the vaccine. 
And they know this because they can genetically tell the difference between the wild virus and that virus used to make the vaccine. And the people who were coming down with polio were coming down with the polio from the vaccines. They weren't bad batches. It's just that polio does, can cause, we know that the, the, the troop ship that everybody was out at sea and they got a mumps vaccination and everybody started coming down with the mumps. And they got a mump vaccination. Why would they be coming down with the mumps? They're not getting it from somebody outside because they're all quarantined out at sea. They're getting it from the vaccine. But people don't want to know that. They don't want to hear that. That that makes them feel unsafe because they don't want to know the truth. Now, vaccines can work, but they all admittedly only work temporarily. And, you know, in the study, you know, I could go through a lot of the different things that they said in the study. But, yeah, the two or three years after uh, they... Uh, they get the vaccine that they're more likely to get, you know, uh, whooping cough than somebody who got, did not get the vaccine. And one of the things that they do point out is that the count that they're, that often is associated with whether or not you are immune or not is not really a key element to tell whether you're immune or not. What will tell that you're immune is your strong immune system. Your robust immune system. When Europeans came here to this continent, and Africans as well who came here to this continent, a lot of them died because there were new diseases in this continent that they were un- their bodies were unfamiliar with. And they got a lot of those diseases and died. And, but they, a lot of them lived. Why? Because the Europeans that came here had a very robust immune system. The Indians, on the other hand, the Native Americans who lived here, did not have a very robust immune system. The reason they didn't have a very robust immune system is they didn't have, you know, ships traveling all over. They didn't have roads traveling all over. They didn't have trade routes from one end of the country all over. Trade was very slow moving across uh, the United States, what became the United States and Canada and even into South America. And so, therefore, they never developed a robust immune system because they weren't constantly being exposed to new diseases. In Europe, they did have all those things. And when people got sick, they moved about and they got other people sick. And we had millions upon millions of people in Europe dying off from a variety of different diseases and plagues that crossed over Europe because people in Europe traveled about a lot. There were a lot of people and they traveled about and they spread diseases. And those people who survived produced a population with a robust immune system. They didn't have that in America. So therefore, when Europeans came here, 90% of the Native Americans died, 80 to 90% died from disease that they could not ward off because of their poor immune system. Now, the good news is the Indians that and, and Native Americans who survived those plagues that came from Europe 
they did develop a robust immune system. And now they're probably just as healthy as everybody else. But now we can introduce new factors into society that weakens that immune system. And one of the things that actually does that is vaccinations. There's other factors too. Diet, uh, lack of exercise, uh, dependency upon, you know, everybody, you know, the AMA came out and admitted that anybody who has ready access to antibiotics will get more infections than somebody who does not have ready access to antibiotics. The overuse of antibiotics makes your immune system weaker and weaker and weaker. And the same is true of vaccinations. Now, that's an inconvenient truth that people don't want, but there are studies coming out that are showing that. And what you want to do is have enough humility to be willing to question everything that you've been taught in the past. Everything that you have come to believe in the past. You want to be able to look at all things new. Uh, as if you had never seen them before. Like you're a little child. You don't want to lose that questioning mind. Why can't I go out and play? Because there's a hurricane coming. <laughs> you know, whatever the reason is. there. You, a lot of times, your parents don't rationalize with the little child why they can't go out and do what they want to do. They just tell them you can't do it. Why? Because I said so. <laughs> and I'm bigger, smarter, and have more experience than you. But you can do that. But I, a lot of times I have given explanations to my children why. And they have learned over the years. Hopefully what I want to do, and sometimes I've done this, well, why do you think you can't do that? And see if they can come up with a reason. You'd be surprised how often this small child, depending on how small we're talking, will contemplate it because, and they know the reason. They knew it all the time. They're just trying to get their way. But that's what you do, but at the parish of your soul. Because we're, we're going to talk to you about some very basic elements of society that are weakening society. And what Christ came to do was to strengthen you. And they talk about the full armor of God. What is the full armor of God? Well, we just talked about the fact that what you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What you loose on earth is loose in heaven. So if you don't forgive, neither will you be forgiven. Same principle applied in the area of forgiveness. What about in the area of giving? Well, if you don't give, neither will you be given to. But now, should you just give to everybody? You know, uh, you know I, I read an article, Elizabeth Warren evidently was uh, suggesting that every co- corporation that is worth over a billion dollars will be taken over by the state. And its board members and its policies and everything will be dictated by the state. And people applaud. Ah, great. That'll show them. Well, you know, that, you mean like the post office? (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, the post office has actually gotten, uh, 
laws lobbied in to make it more difficult for FedEx and UPS to do the job that they want to do. They actually were, I don't know if this is still the case, but there was a time when they were forbidden to deliver something they receive the same day that they receive it. Because, you know, I I called down, I was I needed a building part from the local building place, which was 75 miles away. And I said, if if somebody could get that over to UPS, you could UPS that up to me and I'd get it today. Well, they went over and gave it to the UPS truck driver who hadn't left yet. And he says, I can't deliver that today. And he says, well, you're about to leave. Why don't you just take it and drop it off? You'll go right by there. No, I can't. I'm forbidden by law to deliver a package we received today to today. They're actually hampered from doing a good job <laughs> so that they don't make the Postal Service look bad. But you want to turn over every corporation that has made a billion dollars or worth a billion dollars to be run by the same people who make up those kinds of rules. That's like insane. That's not going to work out. But what that is, that's that's what socialism is, totally controlled uh, economy. And that's why Sweden is not a socialist economy. It's, it's you know, a free enterprise economy for the most part. And still has some socialist type programs in it. And the more they get away from that, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, the more they they get away from that and go back to individual control, the better off they will, their economy and, and their people will be because it actually alters the character of the people when you go to these socialist uh, type programs. So anyway, and we've, like I said, we've talked about that, but we're going to keep moving forward here on this topic of why can't people see that some of these ideas that people are coming up with, like forced vaccinations for everybody, that's, that's almost guaranteeing that there will be a plague. It's certainly guaranteeing that there will be 15 times more cases of whooping cough. <laughs> At least according to that peer-reviewed study, if you force everybody to get it, because those children who were unvaccinated who are not getting whooping cough, because they have robust immune systems, they will be affected by the fact that everybody gets that vaccination. But again, people are going to resist that. No, no, he's just an anti-vaxxer. He's, you know, he's a climate denier. He's, a, you know, because I have to accept the idea that men in white coats are my salvation. They are not. I mean, doctors can help, but they also can hurt. And so anyway, we're going to talk more about that. We're going to equate it to other things in the news. But then we're going to start getting into what part of the gospel is your salvation and what part is not. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So what are the keys of the kingdom? What you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Where else do we see references to that same kind of concept? In the Bible, in the words of Christ, in the words of James, swear not, they say, stop the taking of oaths. Above all else, James says, stop the taking of oaths. Why is that so important? Because oaths bind you. And, and Jesus said, 
anything more than yes for yes and no for no cometh of evil. It's not necessarily evil. But it helps evil. It can be an advantage to evil. Just the same as if you get a vaccination, you fold dip-tip shots. You may have been opened yourself to getting whooping cough in five years. Same as if you go get chemotherapy. If you look at the whole statistics, they got statistics about how often they cure cancer. But they're taking skewed examination of cancer uh, cures, supposed cures, because they don't actually cure cancer. They just, they kill out the cancer, uh, hopefully before they kill you with chemotherapy. That's, that's the goal. Kill the cancer before you die. <laughs> what happens is they also damage the immune system. Because there's there's at least three levels to your immune system. There's actually more, but generally hypothesis is that there's there's three different levels to your immune system. And uh and chemotherapy affects at least two of them drastically. And so therefore, yeah, they killed out the cancer, it's gone, it's supposedly in remission. And maybe they cut it out and then gave you chemotherapy. But do their list of cures include 10-year-out statistics? Because what often happens five to six years later, boom, the cancer's back with a vengeance and it's not responsive to chemotherapy. It has, the the cancer has become healthier than you. <laughs> so, and... And you're in trouble. Now, there are things to combat that. And there's a lot of things you can do to kind of boost your immune system. But, uh, so I don't want people to suddenly lose all hope if they're cancer patients. But I want you to understand how systems work. I mean, what we call evolution or, you know, the theory of evolution. There's actually several theories of evolution even put forth by Darwin. There wasn't one single theory of evolution. He had a number of different hypotheses that he stacked on top of each other. But the, rea- the reality is, is one of the elements of evolution is the survival of the fittest. That you, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And so what happens is that, you know, he sees these different islands out there in the Galapagos. Islands, and he sees that these ele- uh, elements of that environment cause these animals to change over the years. That certain size animals and certain animals with the ability to suffer through droughts and and uh, and famines cause them to develop a certain way. And uh, so he says, "Oh, that's evolution." Of course, it not, there's no crossing of species in his first examination he's just saying that you know the the smaller or the bigger or the whatever elements of that particular species become more predominant in this environment and less dominant in this environment and so that's true that's what takes place in survival of the fittest is that certain elements you know when the native americans began to die with these new diseases and like I said, many of the Europeans died with those new diseases. Many of the Africans were exposed when 
to new diseases and they died as well. You know, some Africans were here in America because they chose to come. They didn't all come in on slave ships. Some of them came here because they wanted to see the world. <laughs> so anyway, uh, yes, many of them did come in on slave ships. Many of them suffered diseases and died. But so were people being exposed, going, the Europeans going into Africa were introduced to new diseases and many of them died as well. But what happened was the Indian population that remained had a more robust immune system. This is how you get herd immunity. Vaccinations, all the immunity that you get in vaccinations is temporary. Some only lasting a few years, some lasting five years, some may last for ten years. You know, and we gave you the example with polio that 95% of the people who got polio and developed lifetime immunity to polio never knew they got polio because they showed no symptoms of the disease. That's how you were developing herd immunity in those several summers of exposure to polio. 95% of the people that came out of the water that showed absolutely no symptoms were immune because they had robust immune systems. So, anyway, understanding that, let's let's start getting over more into this idea of what gives us immunity in the kingdom of God. Because there's evil out there. And we we have this story of the angels of heaven rebelling against God and not wanting to obey his authority. And they were cast out. We have this story of Adam and Eve in the garden. And they disobeyed God. And the first thing they did was hide from God. And then God puts an angel with a lightsaber (laughs) in the middle of the garden. And they flee the garden. What's happening there? The truth drives people away from it. The, The love and truth of God, when it shines out, evil wants to go to the other side of the room. Wants to get as far away from that truth as possible. And now when we see this in the rhetoric of Congress, <laughs> we see them get, uh, saying outlandish, absurd, insane things. Unfortunately, we also see lots of people clapping when they see say these outrageous, crazy ideas. And that, but the, what what is happening is that their mindset is falling into a particular way of thinking. And they are stuck in there. You can go and explain logically how this is not going to work. You can show them examples in history, how this is not going to work, that this is a bad thing, that this will destroy creativity. and, and But they won't see it. They can't see it. Because they're running from the light. They're running from the truth. They say, they, we want to know the whole truth, but we don't want to know that truth. <laughs> we only want to know the whole truth that makes us feel good, makes us feel safe, makes us feel secure. And that's why people, a lot of people go to church because they want a preacher that makes them feel righteous. 
makes them feel saved, makes them feel secure. Somebody comes along and says, you know, if you get your dip-dip shots, you're actually going to be more susceptible to whooping cough. Now, admittedly, that that there's other diseases in there that it might give you immunity, but again, doctors, well, I don't know if doctors will tell you, but the CDC will tell you that all that immunity is temporary because that's what it says in their data. It's only temporary. So now, now you have to come back and get a booster. If you got immune naturally, and there are many things you can do to improve your immune system, you would be safe for the whole your whole life. So how does that translate into seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Because there's there's two elements to that. You have actually there's three. You have to repent, think differently. That's where repentance is. You have to seek the kingdom of God. And you have to do it seeking the righteousness of God. So the kingdom of God is actually a government. It's a form of government. It's different than most of the other governments. And we can talk about those differences. But it's actually a form of self-government. Because the kingdom of God is within you. So it's within your heart and within your mind. And there's supposedly this Holy Spirit that comes and guides your thinking because your thinking has changed because you repented. But it shows you how to think differently than you were thinking before you repented. You repented, you changed your thinking. Change it to what? Change it to what the Baptist minister on the street corner told you, to the Lutheran, to the Methodist, to the Catholic, to the Jehovah Witness. Are they changing your thinking? Or is it this mysterious revelation from the Holy Spirit actually changing your thinking? And then how do you know it's the Holy Spirit and not some unholy spirit? Because we also are told that evil can appear as an angel of light. And so how do you know if it's the Holy Spirit or not the Holy Spirit? How do you know? And it's interesting, the word holy, we have a, and we're going to get into this too, the meaning of words. Like, if I say the word holy, what do you think? You mean devout, saintly, uh, really nice guy, holy guy, whatever. Well, holy actually only means separate. Both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it means this separate spirit. A holy spirit is a separate spirit. Separate from what? Then, of course, that's going to tell you because Satan was separate from God. <laughs> so, so... Being separate there, that doesn't mean holy, because he, he's considered unholy. So it's how you use that idea of separateness in the context of what you're trying to explain. So anyway, look at some of the other words that we're going to have to look at. Religion. You know, I've talked about that. Religion used to be defined as the pious duty or performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. That's what religion was defined at just a couple hundred years ago. That was the definition. You looked it up. That was the definition of religion. There were secondary definitions, but that was the basic definition of religion. Now, if you Google it, religion is what you think about the supreme being, a supreme being. So that's considerably different than the pious performance of your duty. But, of course, that's part of the doctrines of some of the modern churches. Oh, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to keep the commandments. You just have to believe and you're saved. But yet, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep the commandments. 
It didn't say, if you love me, you will try to keep the commandments. If you love me, you will keep the commandments. And what he's actually saying there is that if you really love me and have this love, is this two-way thing, this this relationship of love. If you really have that same love for God that God has for you, in other words, it's it's the nature of the love that you have for God. You will automatically keep the commandments. You, you just won't break them. You won't want to break them. So if you want to break the commandments, if you are breaking the commandments, if you're some of the commandments you're having trouble with, that's evidence that your love for God is not quite the love it ought to be. There still is a need for repentance, a need for a changing of your mind. I'm not condemning you. I'm I'm telling you that, you know, over and over again, all the apostles, Jesus Christ, Moses, was constantly warning the people about certain things. And those warnings are for your benefit. As many as I love, I also rebuke. He wants to help you get better. He wants to help you get closer. Have a better communion with him in love. Well, one of the ways to do that is to have a better communion with your neighbor in love. Your relationship with your neighbor has to be one of love. Because that's, you know, you're supposed to love your neighbor as Christ loved you. And that, because God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your praise. He He's not insecure or anything like that. You need to be doing these things because it alters you. It gives you an immunity to evil. Evil can't come near you if you're, you have that light of that cherub in the garden shining out from you. He has to give you a wide berth. He has to actually go to the other end of the room. He can't even stand near you if you really have that light shining in you. You don't have any control over that light. Now, that's one of the things. So we're all looking for the Holy Spirit to guide us, this inner revelation. We don't, we can't find the Holy Spirit. He finds us. He lists us where He wills. What we have to do is make room in our heart for the Holy Spirit. And that's one of the ways we do that is we leave judgment to God. We, we leave that discernment of right and wrong to God. We don't decide for ourselves what is good and evil. We let God decide and we let God show us. We walk with God. That's what we want to do. Now, a lot of people say that I want to walk with God. Well, that's great that you want to do that. But do you want to do that with your whole heart, mind, and soul? Or are there some parts of your heart, mind, and soul still dragging the traumas of your past into your future? Well, the way to cut that traveling, that PTSD... Yeah, that from traveling from your past into the future is forgiveness in the moment. And you say, well, I've forgiven that person over there. But uh, I said, well, you know, I heard they need help. Do you want to help them? No, I don't want to go anywhere near them. I forgive them, but I don't want to help them. You know, one of the things that crossed my mind uh, just recently, although I knew somebody who was cheated by a group of con men 
who were selling land patents or some goofy thing. And they were lying, and we, we exposed them. We researched and showed that what they were saying was just completely false. And the one of the some of the people that we knew that were getting hooked up with them and paying them money saw what we were saying, and he so he said he wanted his money back, and they had promised they would give him his money back, but he never got his money back. And so I said, well, why don't you write a letter saying that you challenged them and they never gave you the money back and posted on their form. And of course, they once they found out that he was going to maybe do something like that, they they wouldn't let him on their form anymore. But before they had, you know, ousted him, he could have done that. And he could have published it and I could have got it on his form because I knew other people were listening to these, these charlatans. And... uh Expose them, and I did expose them with, uh, you know, our own research showing that they're they're just out for the money. They're just lying to their teeth and conning people, saying what they wanted to hear, and getting people into all kinds of trouble. And we're trying to prevent that. He would not write that letter. He says, "I don't want to get involved in it." So he clearly didn't care about all the people who would be taken advantage of by these charlatans and conmen. Because it might embarrass him. Well, he's doomed to be taken advantage of again. Because he does, because he doesn't care about others, God will not protect him. You have to reach out and protect others so that you can be protected. The same as you have to forgive others so that you may be forgiven. And you have to help others so that you may be helped. If you will not help others, neither will my Father help you. And you say, well, that doesn't seem fair. Well, it actually does seem fair once you understand the nature of God. And we see it back in Samuel 8. And Samuel 8 is telling, if you want to have a ruler who can exercise authority one over the other, I want you to know what's going to happen. What's going to come of that desire that you want. He's going to take and take and take and take and take. We just heard on the news how this skyrocketing debt is cursing the children of the world because it's going to fall on them. Of course, Peter told you that it would. If you engage in these covetous practices of desiring benefits at the expense of your neighbor, that you will curse your children. And you yourself will become merchandise. I mean, Peter's telling you that right out. If your church hasn't mentioned that to you, you're probably not in a church established by Jesus Christ. You're in a church that has been tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. And if you, what you're doing, there are 40,000 different denominations, Baptist, Methodist, and all those ones I was mentioning before. I mean, 40,000. I can't go through them all. If they're not telling you that covetous practices will make you merchandise and curse your children, you won't see the truth that your covetous practices have already made you merchandise and cursed your children. What I want to get to is the fact that the church is one form of government. And the church was established by Jesus Christ. And the church is the church 
if it does what Christ said to do. Everything else calling itself a church, if it does not meet those criteria, it's not the church established by Jesus Christ. And the church, like I said, is one form of government. And I'm quoting here. The church is one form of government. When I say the word church, what are you thinking? You're thinking Baptist, Lutheran, Catholic, Jehovah Witnesses, you know, all these guys who have churches, buildings. It's a, I go to church. If you say, I go to church, down there at such and such an address, you're misusing the term church. Because church is not a place. The original word that we translate into the word church doesn't mean a place. <laughs> that's, that's all there is to it. I mean, it's not a place. The original word was ecclesia, meaning called out. The church was a group of people called out. And they were called out to do certain things that Christ told them to do. If the people who say they are the church are not doing what Christ said, they're obviously not the church established by Christ. There's something else. They might look like a church. They may have a form of godliness, but they deny the authority, the power thereof. That's what it says in the Bible. They did, they have a form of godliness, but deny the authority of Christ to establish them because they're not doing what Christ said. If they're trying to do what Christ said, well then maybe, maybe they are the church or are starting to become the church. The called out. Well, we will eventually go into some of these different things about what the called out should look like. But uh, we'll probably go through it uh, with the ministers that have already been established in our network of home churches, which is the way the early church operated, operated with home churches. It wasn't building big buildings and cathedrals and having thousand-man congregations. They did gather in groups of thousands, 20,000 people at a time. Uh, we see that with Jesus. 5,000 men and their families gathered out there in the wilderness, probably for one of the Jewish feasts, because these were all Jews, most all Jews. They were probably people not Jews, because we know the Roman centurion was kind of following the teachings. We know that uh, even uh, Pilate's wife was interested in what Christ was teaching. And uh, so there were probably other people there, but because Jesus was a Jew, uh, you know, who was the king of the Jews, chances are that was a Jewish feast that they were all at when they were out there in the country. And he had them all sit down in these groups of ranks of ten and ranks of a hundred. And then they began to organize themselves. But that was not the church. The church, what, like the church in the wilderness, was the called out. Well, who were the called out? Well, the Levites originally were called out. The apostles were called out. The seventy that Jesus appointed and sent out, they were called out. But the average people, they were not the church. They were not the called out. They were the congregation the called out were supposed to serve. And the way in which they were to serve them is help them create a system of charity that 
where they are individually self-governing themselves to take care of the needy of society in pure religion. Now, I just used another one of those words that people don't always understand, which is religion. Religion was that pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. Pure religion was performing that duty unspotted, unsupported by the world. And the word world there, one of four or five different words that could be translated into world in the New Testament, that one means constitutional order or system of government. So in other words, they were going to, Christians were starting to take care of the welfare of their society through faith, hope, and charity. Modern church people do not do it that way. They take care of the welfare of their society through men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. In other words, men who take away from their neighbor to provide them with their welfare, their social security, their free education, their free health care, all these different things. That's a covetous practice, very clearly. You're desiring benefits at the expense of your neighbor and you've become accustomed to obtaining those benefits at the expense of your neighbor and even at the expense of your neighbor's children because you're borrowing money against the future. And so therefore you have become merchandise. You have become a surety for debt. You have, you're, you are bound in another government and you are cursing your children with more and more debt. All because your churches are not actually doing what Christ told the church to do. The ministers aren't doing it. The congregations aren't doing it. And the society you live in is not doing it. You're doing it the way the Pharisees do it, did it and making the word of God did not affect. So now we're going to talk about the solution when we return to Keys of the Kingdom in a moment. We talk a lot about the kingdom here and we talk a lot about what most churches are afraid to talk about or don't even know to talk about, which is what the first century church was really doing. But just talking about it is not enough. We encourage everybody to join us in their local neighborhoods, in their local communities, to find out more about what they can do to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Gather with others who are already starting this road or starting to turn around and do things differently. Join us on thelivingnetwork.org or at hisholychurch.org. Go to the network links or go to preparingyou.com. Join the network there. It's all the same, and we'll try to hook you up with people in your local area. They will not be perfect. They don't walk on water. They are not necessarily saints, but they are talking about seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And join us on Facebook, facebook.com, His Holy Church, all one word. Join us there. We'll give you updates so you can start doing some studying and thinking about these things and start looking into these things for yourselves. You must become a doer of the word. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, and, uh, several weeks ago, we did a, went through all of Ephesians, and we uh, did a number of podcasts on that, which went out over Keys of the Kingdom. You can you can go back and listen to our podcasts going back years 
covering all sorts of different topics and trying to give you that view of truth that a lot of other people don't want you to see or just are simply ignorant of. And uh, you can do it at keysofthekingdom.info. You can do it at preparingyou.com. You look at, on the audio links and, you know, we try to organize things according to topics so that you can follow along. But we also have a whole Bible study uh, that covers lots of the books of the Bible. And we're doing more and more all the time. And we, like I said, we just finished Ephesians. But there's so much depth in looking at these stories and these uh, epistles of Paul and and the Gospels. So many different layers of them. And they all keep coming back. It was one of the things when I was studying this originally way back uh, half a century ago in uh, St. Joseph's College. And I was asking these questions uh, of people like, well, what about this? What about that? Nobody had the answers to the questions. You know, a few, sometimes they could answer my questions. But there was just, uh, that often created more questions. And so, finally out here on the desert, I started putting together these things and connecting the dots that nobody wanted you to see. And so now we, we dedicated all kinds of time and energy and money to putting all this available for you and for everybody else and for your neighbor. You have to care about your neighbor, remember. If you want God to care about you, you have to care about your neighbor. I mentioned Samuel 8 in the last program that that if you want to go this way, this other form of government other than the government of God, you 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 want to create a government where you have men who can exercise authority one over the other. This is what's going to happen. He's going to take and take and take and take and take and take and take. It goes to a whole big long list. Samuel 8. At the end of that, he says, and when you cry out, I'm not going to hear you. So that's not a good place to be. <laughs> that's, a, that's really a bad place to be. How do you get God to hear you? It's really simple. It's that same principle I t- told you. What you bind on earth is lo- bound in heaven, and what you loose on earth is loose in heaven. What you hear on earth is he- heard in heaven. <laughs> okay, same principle. If you will not hear the cries of others, neither will your Father in heaven hear your cries. That's it. That's It's that simple. You have to care about others. Some people want to care about their pets, their dog, their cats, their, you know, whatever it is, their goldfish. And they want to care about that. But they don't want to care about their grandchildren or their brothers or their nephews and their nieces and their sisters and their neighbor. They don't want to care about them. They want to live isolated lives. Of course, this ends up being a torture. But you have to care about others. You have to reach out to help others, like that guy who was taken by those charlatans and conmen. Didn't want to help anybody else. Didn't want to confess his foolishness before everybody to save them from the same mistake. I fell over this cliff, but I don't want to tell anybody else about the cliff. That's like, you know, you know there's a pit there, but that's not your responsibility. It's, it's, they just have to watch out for themselves. I just want to go off and live my life in peace. You're doomed. You've doomed yourself as you've doomed your neighbors. 
God's not going to care about you if you don't care about others. He actually does care about you. He wants you to wake up. Now somebody was, some preacher, goofy preacher was saying that the coronavirus was sent to punish America for, uh, what was it, transgenderism or whatever, you know. When they suggested that to Christ, when there was a man who was crippled there, it says, well, is he crippled because of his sin or because of his parents' sin? And Jesus' answer was neither. God is not, try, you know, we talk about punishment. Like God wants to, you know, punish you. Well, depends on the definition of punish. As many as he loves, he also rebukes. Yeah, hard times come to awaken you. To awaken you to your foolishness. So that you will think differently and go the other way that is not the way of foolishness. He lets you have those choices. But he is not sending plagues to be mean. Any more than your father was being mean when he said, no, you can't go out and play until you clean up your room. He's not being mean. You have to clean up your own house before he's going to put you in charge of his house. It's very important. A lot of ministers want to think, they hear what we have to say, and they don't want to go this way. And I've told the stories of ministers who explain these things, and they're they're starting to get it. Because it's just so logical, and they knew enough about the Bible that it fit. Yeah, yeah. But I, I can't tell my, I can't tell my congregation this. You know it's the truth. But, yeah, but if I tell them this, and, and I finally said, why are you whispering? I mean, we were out in the middle of the desert. <laughs> Way out in a the field. There was nobody near us. Why do you have to whisper that you can't tell the truth to your congregation? Because your congregation can't handle the truth. You need to figure out how to tell your congregation the truth or you remain a liar, a minister of lies, and there is no inheritance for you in the kingdom. Nice guy, sweet guy, says he loves Jesus, but he doesn't want to tell the truth about Jesus to the people he says he serves. He serves them in darkness. He does not serve them in truth. I am here to tell you the inconvenient truth. You, this, if, when you're willing to accept these truths and start sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and actually practice pure religion in another form of self-government, not government of men who exercise authority, not a government of the fathers of the earth, but a government of righteousness administering one to another, You're in another whole different world. You're still in this earth, but you're now going to see things you could not see before. And like I said, we just did Ephesians, and I just went over Ephesians 5 because somebody brought something up, and I added a bunch of new links and a bunch of new explanations. There was room in the side panel to do that, so I did it. We have an audio there, but I'm going to mention it. If you want to hear the rest, you can go Go to preparingyou.com, another one of our websites, and look up 
the Bible there in the left-hand column, if you're at Preparing Y-O-U, there's a Preparing You and a Preparing Y-O-U. <laughs> but anyway, the... Uh, uh, they're, they're linked to one to each other. One deals mostly in audios right now. We're expanding all the time so that you can start to your own journey seeking the kingdom of God. But there you look up a Bible and look up Ephesians. Go to Ephesians 5. And, you know, it starts off, Be ye therefore followers of God. Right now, most people are followers of an image of God created by these 40,000 different denominations. If they were really followers of God, we would see different things happening in the world because all these Christians, thousands and thousands, tens of thousands, millions of Christians, a lot of them nice people, and this is the interesting thing about following God. You can follow God in this step and that step and this step and that step, but if you refuse to follow God in this area over here, you're not finding the whole truth. They're not walking in the whole love and the whole truth of Christ. And that's what it says in the next verse. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. We have to love each other as Christ loved us. What did Christ do when he loved us? He sacrificed himself. He forgave. He even forgave those who were crucifying him. Can you do that? You can't even forgive the people you don't even know anymore that hurt you 20 years ago. Not really forgive them. If you did, you wouldn't have so much trouble with the people right next to you now. And he goes on to say, And hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for the sweet-smelling savor. Now, the sweet-smelling savor, that's that's... From the old Hebrew where they talk about the sacrifices of Abraham and the smoke was a sweet smelling savor. And also the sacrifices of Abel were a sweet smelling savor. But the sacrifices of Cain were not so sweet. Why? Because Cain forced the offering. It was forced from his plow. (laughs) These are metaphors. Nimrod, the same way. Cain. In his city-state, the same way. So anyway, he's talking about that. This idea of freely giving, loving your neighbor, same word love. There's also translated charity. As Christ freely gave himself, you should be freely loving one another. And once you understand that all the Christians did not go eat at the free bread of Rome... They were actually uh, persecuted because they would not sign up for the free bread of Rome. We have letters in 150 AD from early Christian martyrs explaining, we don't do it that way. We gather once a week and those that have share with those that don't have enough. That's what the church was doing. Nobody was signed up for social security in the early church. With the governments who exercise authority. Nobody was signed up for free school or free health care in the early church with the government. They could have, but they didn't. Because that was fornication, which is the next line. But fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness. And in this, you know, I, I put it here and I also went back and put it in a few of our other studies 
Paul does this where he takes three different words to describe the same thing. Different aspect. It's what I call walking around the elephant. You know, you know the, the, the old story of the elephant where one guy, blind man, is touching it. And he says an elephant is like, because uh, he's touching the leg, it's like a tree, you know. And another one is like a snake because he's touching the trunk. And the other one is like a rope because he's touching the tail. And he can't see the whole elephant, but he only is telling the elephant based on what he can actually perceive. And Paul walks around the elephant, uses three words, fornication, uncleanness, and covetousness. Let it not be once named amongst you. It, he just named three things. It. What is that fornication? See, like if we look at that word fornication, and I talk about this in the side panel, and if you actually look at the footnote on fornication, what does fornication mean? Actually, I have a whole life link. I, I created a whole page just so you can understand this word fornication. That uh, it has a number of different meanings. It has a different metaphor meaning other than sexual misconduct. That it has this, this meaning of this involvement with idolatry. And that's what it, it's talking about, this idolatrous relationship of eating things sacrificed to idols. And of course, then I have links there that show you the, what they were doing in the temples. The temples were all government buildings. One temple they minted coin in, that was the Temple of Mineta, because they made money. And uh, actually, you know, minted the coins. And the Temple of Saturn, that's where you registered your birth certificate. So that we'd know if you were eligible for those free benefits, the free bread. That, that they came when they gave you a little tesseract clay coin. You had that, you got free bread when you went to the different distribution places. Which were all part of the Church of Rome. You know, the mint, I mean, they had their called out. Their vestal virgins were separated out from the world. And they were in charge of watching all these documents that were necessary to run their welfare state. You don't know that. You don't realize how history is repeating itself. You should, If you have a need, you should be able to go to church and pray at church for the fulfillment of that need through faith, hope, and charity. Rather than force, fear, and violence. In order to get it from the world, you have to take an oath of fealty. You have to, must become a member of the world system. Now, many modern church ministers, we can go through this and explain, show you how all this is happening. But we have to bring up the inconvenient truths that will kind of say that, no, you haven't really believed in Christ. You've believed in an image of Christ that people have given you. And and it's reasonable. You look at Christ's life and you look at many of the things that Christ say and people say, well, I want some of that. Well, that's great that you want to go that way. And many churches go that way, that way of Christ. They go toward that way of Christ. But when we talk about the whole Christ, all the different things that he said, then they say, oh, no, we don't need to do that. Oh, you're going too far. You're taking Christ too far. But that's exactly where Christ took us. 
He wanted us to be perfected in the ways of Christ, to go this other way. You know, the Bible talks about writing constitutions. It talks about having kings. Way back in Deuteronomy, he says, if you decide to have a king, you know, a ruler who can exercise, you know, a chief executive officer, let's just call him a, a chief executive officer, somebody who can exercise authority, you know, like force the offerings of the people. Now, he's going to end up taking and taking and taking and taking because, you know, he's not going to live forever. Somebody else will become the new executive officer and he will want to take everything and more and more things. And then the more greedy that people become, the more accustomed to living at the expense of others, where that just becomes like second nature. Of course, we force our neighbors to pay for our child's education. That's the way we do it. Well, that's the way you do it now. We didn't used to do it. That's why we bring up, we show you that back in the 1800s, most of the public schools were supported by private funds, not by public funds. They were called public schools because they were open to the public. But they were supported and created and even built by voluntary contributions and effort. I mean, we have the one-room schoolhouse down here. It's not used as a schoolhouse anymore. It's full of toxins and poisons. But uh, uh, it was built by the people. People went there and nailed the boards together and put the windows in. And built the porch on it. And the people housed the teacher and hired the teacher. But it was a public school. But it wasn't created by tax funds. That, that came in this, all in this last century, more and more so. Even, even the brand new school they have in North Lake County, the land was donated. It wasn't bought by tax funds. It was donated by a private individual. That's when America was great, when that was predominant in the way that we did things. We did it through faith, hope, and charity, through this network of charity. We've gotten away from that. All we're doing is preaching the gospel of the kingdom, which is going back that way, towards self-government. We're not trying to tear down the government of Rome or the world or of Turkey or any of these other countries. We just want you to start walking in the ways of Christ, taking care of one another. Caring about your neighbor as much as you care about your dog. (laughs) Or at least you really should be taking care of your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. Well, my son, one of my sons was just a part of a survey in this county to find all the homeless people in this county. They had done a survey years ago, and I think they came up with it was some ridiculously low number. Like there was like three homeless people in the county, and uh, you know, my son alone on one day found thirty homeless people <laughs> that qualify for what we call homeless. You know, no plumbing, no electricity, and living in abandoned buildings. This is the middle of winter out here in the desert, in the high desert. And in trailers that just kind of just capsulated in this little trailer that's not hooked up to anything. So anyway, he found quite a few and and uh, he said it was quite an experience going around finding these people. Because there's no like roadmap. There is now, evidently. <laughs> but now what do you do about it? You throw money at the problem? Why are they in this state? Oh, you have to attend to the very soul. This was the job of the church. 
just a hundred years ago. This was the job of the community, not the government. The community. We started off talking about Elizabeth Warren and this idea that she wanted every billion dollar company to be run by the government. I want every household run by Christ. And what we have, and I'm showing you and equating some of the things like, you know, why did the church write an article about Article 2, Section 22 of the Oregon Constitution? Why are we concerned about things that are going on in government? Because what's going on in the government is the result of what's going on in your hearts. And we want Christ in your heart. We want the Holy Spirit in your heart and your mind. But it's not in there right now. It's full of all kinds of other stuff that you're dragging from your past and you're not, you don't have any room for the real Christ, the whole Christ in your heart and your mind. So in order to make that room, what do we have to do? We have to forgive. We have to be humble. We have to be willing to see the truth about ourselves as well as our neighbor. We have to care about our neighbor as much as we care about ourselves. All these things that Christ said. And many churches talk about but don't actually implement in the very bottom of your soul and your mind and your and your actions. You're not you're not acting. In other words, you're not walking in the ways of Christ. You found a comfortable church or a comfortable ideology, and you worship that ideology. If you were actually worshiping Christ and God the Father, you would be keeping his commandments. You would be doing what he said. And I would it wouldn't be such a surprise to find out that you're doing the opposite. Like in that article 2, section 22, we show that 70% of the people, maybe 80% of the people holding office in the state of Oregon are felons and have no right to the office that they are occupying. They are actually trespassing from Governor Brown on down. It's not hard proof. It's easy to prove. They they bear witness to the fact that they're felons on their own websites and in their, their own records. And this Article 2, Section 22 is voted in by the people. So it's the responsibility of the people to enforce that upon their leaders. I can show you that in the Bible. Deuteronomy 17. If you want to have a ruler, you're supposed to write down this constitution, the rules that the ruler is subject to, what it can do and what it can't do, this ruler, this executive officer. You write them down, and they give you an idea of at least five things you should write down in there. You can write it in different ways, but there's five things to write down in there. At least, you can add more. And read them to your leaders every day. That's what it says in the Bible. Your priests are supposed to read them to your leaders every day. In the Oregon Constitution, that's why we wrote Article 2, Section 22. Now, it's not my job to read it to the, uh, you know, the governor of Oregon. Every day, or all these other people that are in violation of that rule that the people put into place. It's the responsibility of citizens of Oregon. I'm, I'm sitting in Oregon, but I, I don't vote in Oregon. I'm not, I'm, I'm a, I'm over here in the church. I'm separate. 
I'm called out to be over here. And I'm concerned with that government and what that government is doing, that other form of government. I'm concerned about what you're doing in your government because I'm concerned about what you're doing in your heart. And if you're not keeping your word, if you've taken an oath to abide by the Oregon Constitution or the U.S. Constitution, all sheriffs, you know, take oaths to, you know, support and defend the Constitution. I want them to keep their oath (laughs) because God wants them to keep their oath and that's important to their heart. And if you're a citizen of Oregon it, and you citizens of Oregon have passed a rule, that Article 2, Section 22, you have to hold your people, your leaders, accountable to the rules that you laid down. That's your job. If you're not going to be righteous in that job, in that system, in that government, How would I expect you to be righteous in more righteous habitations? In other words, in the government of God. You're not going to be doing what Christ said to do when you won't even do what you said you would do. So that this is why this is important. Because you have to make your yeses yes and your noes no. And if you've made a rule that your leaders, your elected officials cannot do this or that, then you need to hold them to that. That's the thing about a free government. It requires a responsible people. The people have to be responsible for what they agree to. And if they they don't like that rule, they can change it. And I can tell you that coming the next election, the people who are breaking that rule will try to change it. They already started the process of trying to change it. What you cannot change is the rules that Christ has laid down. You cannot, you don't have that authority to change Christ. And that's what most of these churches have done. They've changed Christ or the image of Christ that people have by leaving out essential instructions. And we'll talk about that when we come back. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We're... We're we're looking at Ephesians here, but really what we're trying to do is put this idea of the keys of the kingdom into perspective that we can actually apply in our own lives of binding and loosing. And of course, like I said, we bind ourselves. This is People are all trying to treat PTSD like this is because we have this, the letter abbreviation of post-traumatic stress syndrome that suddenly this was just discovered. That before that we discovered that there no didn't exist any. I mean, they used to call it shell shock and all this stuff, but they used to call it sin. Not because you sinned. Again, you know, why is this guy sick? Is it because he sinned or his parents sinned? That's misunderstanding sin. Sin is simply breaking outside of the natural scheme or intent of creation. That's what sin is. It is uh, separating oneself from the natural reality that God intended for us in creation. And that's, disease comes about because of that. The same as, you know, we started talking this morning about the fact that vaccinations are actually spreading disease. Now, they may actually provide some protection too, but you... You need to look at the whole truth to find out whether or not what's the best road to go. 
We know that vaccinations are only temporary. But we know lifetime immunity is lifetime immunity. You get lifetime immunity when you do it naturally, and you don't get lifetime immunity when you get vaccinated. So you cannot get herd immunity like we did when everybody got sick and and lots of people died during the plagues uh, in Europe and then eventually plagues that came to America. But the people who survived were immune to all these things. And not only that, they had a robust immune system so that when new plagues come about because of mutation, you know, like this coronavirus. Coronavirus has been around for a long time. I mean, the name was, I think, back in the 60s when they first started categorizing viruses as coronaviruses. And there's lots of different coronaviruses. SARS is a coronavirus. But they're, the common coronavirus, you just get a cold and you get over it. And if you have a good immune system, you get over it. When I worked in convalescent homes a period of time, when there was a flu season, people and the, the uh, mortician gurneys were lined up in the hallway. Because people died because they were old and their immune systems were compromised and for a lot of reasons. And they died. They died because kids who worked there brought these diseases in. People brought these diseases in because they got contaminated and they brought them in and spread them to the patients. And that was the thing that we were always trying to prevent that from happening. If you're sick, stay home. And they probably should have worn more masks and washed their hands more and less people would have died. But the reality is is that uh, this is just a new strain of coronavirus that's come about and there's been a few more deaths. But what's really dangerous is that the general population's immune systems are becoming less robust for a variety of reasons. Like I said, diet. Vaccinations are probably contributing to this. Uh, antibiotics are certainly contributing according to the AMA and according to this new studies and uh, the the virus uh, the uh, vaccines are contributing to it because you're getting you know from 13 to 15 times more uh, infections amongst the people who get vaccinated than you get amongst the people who don't get vaccinated. That that just like wow that just blows vaccinations out of the water. You know, of course, somebody's going to want to do more studies, but those are peer-reviewed studies. Or that was a peer-reviewed study that came up with that figure. But say it was just twice as more likely. <laughs> or three times as more likely. That That's huge. But anyway, ta- taking that understanding of the way nature works and applying it to the kingdom of God and our quest, because what we're supposed to be doing, seeking the kingdom of God. That's a process. We're supposed to think differently. And if you listen to us very much, you definitely are going to be challenged to think differently. Because we're saying that, we're not saying that we're the one true religion. His holy church is just a phrase. And it's a, it's an idea that Christ gave us to be his church, to be holy, be separate. And to be, in order to be his church, we have to be doing what he said to do. And so all we're doing is bringing up what he said to do, showing you what the early church did in the context of the times, equating the context of the times to our time, because we're in another time. That was the past. Now we're in the present. And we will soon be in the future. Which way are we walking into our future? Are we bringing... 
the the evils of the past into the future? Are we going to history will repeat itself? That's a fact. That just that just we have a lot of evidence that history repeats itself. So there will be a true faithful who follow in the ways of Abraham, Moses, and Jesus Christ. And there will be another group that say they are following in the ways of Abraham, Moses, and maybe even Jesus Christ, and are not. One is the true followers of Christ, and the other one is not the true followers of Christ. That's just a given. Now the question is, where do we draw that line? Well, the reality is we don't draw that line. God draws that line. But where do we perceive that line of God to be drawn? Well, how do we find that? Well, one way is to look at the Bible and find out what it says. And Paul goes through numerous lists saying that these have no inheritance in the kingdom. Because they're doing this, 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 this. And... He says you're not to have anything to do with them. And in Ephesians 5, he's telling them not to have any of this spots of fornication, uncleanness, and covetousness to be seen amongst you at all. Now, he just praised the people at the Ephesians, which is the, the Christians at Ephesus, because he said that they were they were safe. They were doing things right. But they had to be, he was warning them, about this pornea, this fornication. And like I said, fornication, like many words, can have, you know, can be illicit sexual intercourse. That was, that's the definition of fornication. But there's another definition of that same Greek word when it's used as a metaphor. And it has to do with the worship of idols. That's called fornication too. Now the fact that Paul puts these three words together of uncleanness and covetousness and fornication, it is likely that word is being used as a metaphor. That uh, it, he's talking about things, the worship of idols and, and the defilement of idolatry. And then what's idolatry? Eating things sacrificed to idols. Well, what is that? That's getting the free bread of Rome. Because that's, that's, that's what they were giving out at the temples where all these idols were supposedly at. Yeah, they had statues there, but nobody actually worshipped the statue. Worship, that's another one of those words we don't know. That has to do with homage. Worship has to do with obeisance, obeying. So if you are a member of a temple that required that you gave a portion of your income to support the temple, then that was worshiping at that temple. You were obeying at that temple. Now, the temples of Rome at that particular time, it wasn't this way always in Rome, but it had progressed to this. We see it coming in in the time of Polybius and then in the time of Plutarch and Augustus Caesar, where they began to force the contributions of the people, had to go to the temples. Now, they also got money by taking away from foreign countries with their army. And that went into the temples to the emperors. But the reality was is that they were giving out free bread. If you were signed up at that temple, you could get free bread. You could get health care. Under several of the emperors, they offered health care. And uh, they offered, you know, all kinds of entertainment. 
and they even sometimes offered forms of free education if you were signed up for with those temples. But if you were signed up, you had to pay into them. That, that's what they were doing in the temples. That was one of the questions I could not get anybody to answer when I was in the seminary over half a century ago. They would not tell me what the heck these guys were doing in these temples. And that's why we've written articles and show you what they were doing in these temples. It's one of the best guarded secrets. So, to sign up with one of those temples was fornication. To apply for the free bread of Rome was fornication. And Paul's saying he didn't want to see any of that fornication amongst you. Because what they were offering you was unclean. Because it was not freely given. It was like Cain. It was like Nimrod. It was like Pharaoh. It was like Caesar. It was Caesar. You weren't to be applying to that. So Christ called out a group of men to facilitate a system of charity, a love, to take care of the need. John the Baptist was doing the same thing. John the Baptist saying, don't do it by force. If you have extra, share with those that don't have enough. Do the same with your cloak. Do this and do the same with your meats and food. And do the same with shelter. You have to do it that way or your society will be altered. The mind of your society will be altered. They will become accustomed to taking and taking and taking and taking and they will want to take more and more. And we see that happening. Anybody 30, 40 years old, 50 years old, you've seen that happening more and more and more in your society, whether you're in Australia or South Africa or the United States or Canada. Now, it's funny, like Sweden, they did that to the extreme and now they've rolled back some. (laughs) And that's good, but they got a lot more rolling back to do. And that's the thing is that a lot of people say, well, I don't want to do all this sexual fornication and and adultery and uh, drug taking. So I'm going to become a Christian. And they join some Christian church or, you know, evangelical movement. And they clean up their act. They're not an alcoholic. They don't beat their wife anymore. Uh, they don't cheat on their wife. But are they really walking with Christ? Are they going the whole walk with Christ? That's what you, that's what we need to be striving for. And most of the ministers out there, I can easily say most in this case, are still going to the men who call themselves benefactors to obtain their daily bread. And they send their congregation to the men who exercise authority one over the other to obtain their daily bread. Even though Christ clearly said, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and really also in John in another another way, it's not to be that way with you. You cannot be engaged in those covetous practices and really be seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, we understand it's a process. But you need to know where you're going, where you're headed. You're either headed towards the kingdom, sitting down in the tens, hundreds of thousands, and start giving and and... and Caring about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. Or you're not. If you're not, you need to repent and start doing that. With earnest 
sacrifice like Christ for one another. I can't do it all for you. I can't create it all for you. Uh, our few ministers, we can't do it. You have to decide to go the way of Christ, which is the way of the kingdom. That other form of self-government that operates by faith, hope, and charity. A lot of people say, well, I want to get out of the system because they tax so bad. And I don't want to pay taxes anymore. No. You need to be friends with the unrighteous mammon. But you need to turn around your thinking and start going the other way. You have to honor your commitment or make the commitment the other way. Now, we can talk a lot about where that commitment is at. But the reality is you have to be pursuing this for unselfish reasons. Selfishness blocks the Spirit of Christ. Christ was unselfish. We can all probably agree that Christ was unselfish. Paul even eventually became unselfish. And we explain why I say that. We have to become unselfish. And that's a process. Seeking the kingdom of God is unbinding by loosening the chains which bind others. Every time you loosen your unforgiveness you with forgiveness, you become more forgiven and you can see more and God will give you more opportunities for righteousness. Every time you repent, think differently about the way of what it means to follow Christ. It begins to alter your very spiritual DNA and eventually actually will alter your DNA down the road. I mean, this is this could be a long journey depending on where you start and how fast you travel this road. <laughs> so you have to turn around and go the other way. You know, and he, he gives other lists in here. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting. Another group of three words. Describing really all the same things. And, and I put down there in the side notes a little bit about that, those, those three different words. And what they mean, filthiness. It says, nor foolish talking, nor jesting. And I have footnotes in there that show you the definition of these words. But basically... What they're talking about is filthiness, is dishonoring something. So you say you're a minister of Christ, or you're a Christian, because we're all supposed to minister one to another. People don't really understand the role of a minister. These called out. What what they're really supposed to be doing is making you and helping you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, so that you can minister one to another. Because see. You don't hire somebody to do your loving for you. You have to love your neighbor as yourself. He's just facilitating your love to get it to where it needs to go. That's why they're sitting down in these ranks of tens, ranks of a hundred, ranks of a thousand. Is so that when Paul hears they have a need in Corinth, he can take funds from Galatia to Corinth. And they have a network so they know how to move that. So if there's a there's a dearth or a famine in this area. He can move stuff around from the different areas to where they need to go. Some areas will be hit harder at different times than other areas. So, therefore, you have 
They depended upon the movement of aid to where it needed to go. We see this all throughout the epistles of Paul. Because he was ministering to the kingdom on an international basis. You on a local basis, you're supposed to be ministering to one another. And then a portion of what you minister goes out in this broader network. And if your ministers aren't thinking in those terms, they're not thinking kingdom. So anyway, he says this this filthiness, uh, which is to dishonor, you know, where they say, no, well, we don't have to do that. We just have to believe in Jesus. That's dishonoring what Jesus actually said to do. You're not a doer of the word. You just say, I believe that's enough. I don't have to actually do anything. That's dishonoring Christ because Christ said you had to be a doer, not just a sayer. So that's filthy talk. (laughs) A lot of guys aren't going to like that because that's a real popular ideology, which is a part of the idolatry of the modern church. So what, what was the next word that they talk about? Foolish talking, impiously speaking. About what Christ said to do. Saying, you know, because somebody brings up what Christ said to do. Like the ministers of Christ owned all things common. And that they 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 were joint heirs. So they weren't individual heirs. They had no personal estate. Just like the Levites before them. A lot of people don't understand what that means or how that's translated into modern thing. But when you point it out, some of them want to put that down. No, no, we don't have to do that. We just have to believe, again, that word filthiness and foolish talking, that impiously treating what Christ said they had to do to be one of his disciple called out ministers. Disciple just means student. He called out guys to learn the ways of the called out. This is this is not the general congregation. This is specifically called out to receive certain duties and obligations of service to the rest of the people. Just like the Levites before them. To put down what Christ said, that falls into that area of foolish talking. Because they're disregarding what Christ said. What he commanded. And then final, the last thing, jesting. Treating serious issues with deliberate condescension. Thinking, oh, these guys who are seeking to be the called out, they feel they have a calling, and that's between you and God. Well, if you have a calling to be a minister of God or to be a congregant of God, those are different roles. And you may have one for a period of time in your life and another one for another period of time in your life. But anyway, if you're called out to be that disciple, called out minister of Christ, you have to do what Christ said those people had to do. And if people put that down, if they, if they treat that serious issue with condescension, thinking, oh, these people have just taken it too far. Well, then they're jesting. That's what that word jesting is talking about. And all three of those words are complementary to the idea of people putting down what Christ required his ministers to be like. And if people are not doing what Christ said to do, 
and saying, oh, we don't have to do that anymore because of the crucifixion or some goofy thing. Even though we see all the apostles doing that after the crucifixion, we see the ministers of the church doing that for hundreds of years after the crucifixion. But now today we don't have to do that. Then you're te- preaching a gospel other than that of Christ. And you have need of repentance. Now how all this works together, you know, we, we mentioned several different words that you have to redefine in your mind. Every, and, and you, you have created these ruts in your mind. If I say religious, you think something. If I say church, you think something. Church is not a place. Church is the called out. They have duties and responsibilities that would be considered religious because that's what religion was. It was the performance of a duty. Now, the congregant has a duty too. We all have the duty of ministering one to another, but the way in which that duty is manifest is different. Just like those corporation, billion-dollar corporations that suddenly somebody wants to turn them over to a bunch of bureaucrats to run who know nothing about the intricacies of that corporation or how a successful business is established. Just like Bernie Sanders, when, would, when did he ever have a paying job that actually produced something? He was on welfare and, and then he was in politics. He, he never had any other job. He never did any other work. And so he never learned what that means. Now, I'm not going to pick on the guy. We could find that in a lot of places. But you have to actually learn by doing. So it's the same thing what Christ was doing. He didn't send, he didn't call out a group and send them to a university to study theology. He taught them by doing. We do the same thing. That's part of our rituals and rites. You want to become a minister of the church? Very easy. You have to find two people that want it, two different people from different families that want you to minister to them like Christ did. Now that's a simple phrase, say like Christ did, like the ministers of Christ did. But what does that look like? Well, we've written a lot of books on it and explained it, and a lot of people have read those books or not read those books, but they wanted to become ministers. And you know, it's kind of a joke with us. I don't want to give it away too much because we're still going to hear it some more where people call up and they say, I agree with everything that you say. <laughs> Nobody agrees with everything I say. So anyway, we ha- this is a process of figuring out who is actually wants to do what Christ said to do. Well, you have to do some study to show thyself approved which means to be diligent to show thyself approved. But we'll have to talk more about this next time on Keys to the Kingdom because we're out of time. So join the network before you're out of time and we'll see you there. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www 
www.hisholychurch.net.